0: Before we start this week's chat, we have got a brand new sponsor for Series 5 who I just have to tell you about because I am so, so excited about working with them this year. If you haven't heard of Pleo, they are the multi-award winning business spending solution built for forward thinking teams that have completely changed the business expenses game for the better and made our lives as business owners and our team's lives a whole lot easier. It was basically launched in Copenhagen by two founders who thought that the old way of managing business expenses was a bit rubbish. And I'm sure that you'll agree I don't blame them. You know what it's like at the moment. Your team needs to buy something and you will scramble to share the company credit card around. You're WhatsApping card details to one another. You will waste so much time filing expense reports for every little thing. When you say it out loud, it's not exactly the smartest way for a growing business to work, is it? Which is why Yeppa and Niccolo built PLEO in 2015. To keep it short and sweet, PLEO's cards make it easy for people to buy what they need for work without the red tape and save you, or I should say us, your team and freelancers so much time because there is no need for expense reports or random invoices. You just give everyone a Plio card and you can see who's spending what as it comes in. There's also no need to hold onto piles of receipts anymore too because Plio automate all of that. And the very best bit is that they sync with all the usual accounting software apps as well so that you know that everything is being reconciled in the right way. For me personally, even though I don't have an official team as you all know, Plio appeals because I can now send my VA Lisa. And the team of freelancers I work with a card each so that we can now skip all the back and forth over card details and random invoices as and when they need to buy something for the business on my behalf. Even silly things like when we're back on the midweek mingle road shows and we're travelling again. I know full well that Chloe will need to nip out and buy extra snacks so I can now give her a PLEO card so that we don't have to faff around with invoices when we're home basically it's a game changer and it wouldn't have won as many awards as it has done if it wasn't as good as it is the best bit they are offering all she can she did listeners if you're a new customer your first three months of plio for free just head to plio.io to set up a demo using the link in the show notes and be sure to mention the she can she did podcast when prompted A giant, giant thank you to Pleo for their support of She Can, She Did, and also for handing the mic over to some amazing business owners who just so happen to be members of She Can, She Did in the middle of this episode too. What absolute legends they are. They are so unbelievably supportive, but that is enough of me rambling. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. The podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with smart, driven, beyond inspiring business owners dotted all over the UK and ask them to open up to me about the candid reality that they've pushed through behind the scenes. Warts and all of course, to not just launch, but run, grow and sustain their business to date. The overarching aim being to encourage both current and aspiring business owners that if the women that I'm chatting to each week can overcome and did overcome the setbacks they faced. And believe me, not one woman will say that she's had it easy on here. You can and you will overcome whatever challenges this running a business malarkey chucks your way to. This week I am chatting to a woman who is quite simply a force to be reckoned with. Her name is Shei Yakiwowo and she is the founder of Glitch. Or as she goes on to say in just a second, her oops baby a UK-based charity recognised internationally for working to make the online space safe for all of us. Having interviewed a number of women now who have experienced online abuse over the past few years, be it in the form of racist, sexist or xenophobic comments, insults about their appearance or personality, or in some cases, an endless onslaught of acid attack and death threats, I first came across Shay's work in early 2020 when an incredible woman I know suffered from severe trolling online, and the wonderful Jess from Mackermore sent Glitch's details my way. At the time, I happened to be on the hunt for a charity that I wanted us to support, and as soon as I heard about Shay's mission, I knew straight away that Glitch was the charity for us recorded back in november a giant thank you to shay for her patience getting this one out we sat down to chat about everything from the series of events at the hands of both trolls and social media platforms that led shay to get glitch off the ground how she went about growing a team and learning to lead from a place of love instead of fear the relationship she's been on with money and why she sees her old debt as a battle scar. I resonated so, so much with that part of the conversation, not to mention the power of tuning in to watch Neighbours at lunchtime and why she's determined to ensure that Glitch is trauma-informed but not trauma-led. If you haven't checked Glitch out, I couldn't recommend their work more. She's amazing. Glitch is amazing. This is Shay's story so far. Shay, I'm super, super looking forward to this one. I just feel like I'm so in awe, as you know, of you. So let's just dive in. Can you tell us who you are and what your, I guess, normally I say business, but it's charity, isn't
1: it? Yeah. So I'm Shay Akiwowo. I am the founder and executive director of Glitch. And Glitch is a small UK-based charity determined to make the online space safe for all, particularly women and girls. And we do this through three key pieces of work. Awareness, raising awareness of online abuse and its impact through an intersectional lens to make sure that we're understanding the experiences of all types of women and non-binary people. Advocacy, because we want long-term systematic change from both government and tech companies. And there is so much that they can do. Mm -hmm. And then action is inspiring people to take action through our resources and training because we have an excess of amazing women, amazing talent, even our online spaces. Our online spaces are being hijacked and weaponized. If we've not seen it before, we've definitely seen it this year. And we are doing our best to circumvent that and try and keep our online spaces safe while we also call for long term systematic change. So that's a little bit about Glitch.
0: Amazing. And I feel like you're doing an absolutely incredible job at that. Let's go back to where this all started then, because I always think it's so easy to kind of look at a business or a charity like yours and just think it looks amazing. She's doing such an amazing job. Her life must be so glamorous, etc., etc. Ah. Making these features, going on TV, blah, blah, blah. I want to know what inspired this. And we're going to talk about I guess the ins and outs of the story that's got you to here but yeah what made you dedicate all this focus on online abuse?
1: I laugh about the glamour because if you could see the state of my new bedroom and the fact that I'm wearing half a pyjamas and a bonnet right now I don't feel really glam.
0: (laughs) Honestly my flat's so freezing I've got my dressing gown on my lap and I've got a hot water bottle here and I'm literally like this is not glamorous honestly I, I hear you but go for it.
1: So Glitch is my oops baby. It really started off by accident. I made a speech at the European Parliament when I was a politician. I was like age 23, 24 and it was a speech, like an impromptu speech in response to the refugee crisis and the French National, which is basically like the French version of UKIP but on steroids and croissants, were booing and heckling this Syrian refugee and so I'm just Spoke and I just talked about racial injustice. I talked about empire and colonization and the impact we have now. Why we have refugee crisis in the first place and what duties former empires must have to kind of rectify their massive harm and trauma. And the speech did well with kind of non-racists and non- and non-xenophobic people in the room. It was then posted online by the European Parliament a few months later. And it was great. You know, I was getting more followers. I thought, yes, this is it. I'm going to get a blue tick on Twitter and I'm going to get invited to the Ellen show and Idris Elba's probably going to notice me. And like, yeah, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to get free hair. Like that's what I thought. Right. I did not think about the other side of the online space. Other people who use Twitter, YouTube, Facebook and other platforms like Reddit and 4chan and all of that. I never thought that they would do or use it for such horrific abuse. Obviously, we know about racism offline, and we know that it spills online, and we saw that Diane Abbott was getting abused, who's the first Black woman MP in the UK. We will see other emergent MPs like Luciana Berger, who was a Jewish woman MP. But you only kind of heard, like, trickles of it to be on the receiving end of it, of people wishing you death, wishing things about your body parts, wishing things about your community and using all sorts of colourful variations of the N-word was just so shocking. And then I felt like at the time I was doing the right thing, I'm going to report it. And then I reported it, I felt like that was even more traumatic. Reporting the abuse to platforms who either said it wasn't a violation of their platform, who ignored me or who still allow the abuse to stay there, therefore meaning that I'm reporting this, and it's signaling to the abusers and those that are committing the harm that it's okay to do it. Mm. So I was like, are you serious? Where I've used Twitter and Facebook and YouTube to talk about EU referendum and youth rights and get elected and change representation in local government and transparency around how I was being a counsellor and like my reports and what I was doing, like I'm like using your platforms the way you intended and you cannot respect and protect me and not even protect me because who am I in comparison to the millions of followers, but how can you not even enforce your own platform policies? And I could not not see race. Like how a black woman was being abused and harassed and silenced from my opinions and tech companies who are predominantly run by white rich men were basically allowing it to happen. I felt like my pain was now seen as profit and engagement to these platforms. So I said, bum this, I'm gonna campaign against it. I'm not gonna have it. The same kind of civic duty I think I had as a local counsellor for my area and wanting to combat youth violence and representation. I think it just transferred quickly to the online space seeing that the online space was an extension of the community and that again, marginalized voices were being pushed out and violence was happening to marginalized communities, but it wasn't making the mainstream media and it wasn't getting the attention and therefore a reaction and even a proactive action from tech companies. Mm -hmm. So I started a campaign called Fix the Glitch because I do believe in the power of the internet. And I believe in the power of the internet because it's who I am today. I'm somebody who's done a lot of work to unlearn a lot of shit and a lot of toxic ideology that I easily could have still been believing, right? Like I was a borderline Christian fundamentalist. I was outside stations preaching all sorts of nonsense. And it was the internet. It was spending time reading and learning and shaping and cultivating my identity and questioning myself and surrounding myself with amazing women like Renee Edo-Lodge back before like her book blew up that really allowed me to like think about who I was and what I was saying on my platform.
2: Mm.
1: And I felt like this was all under attack. All of this was being hijacked by white supremacists and trolls and misogynistic people, and no one was talking about it. And so there was this kind of campaign to kind of reclaim the internet, and not just for celebrities, not just talking about online abuse and harassment when it you know you have to have like a million followers, or sadly, it take Caroline Flack dying by suicide for us to take action. We need to be talking about safety of everyday women and girls because it just takes that one content to go viral like me. Like, yes, I was a local politician, but not many people knew me in the UK or outside the UK for sure. It took one viral content that I didn't even post Mm. to now be subjected to such abuse. I felt like there was such a gap in the market, if you like, in business terms, but a gap in provision and a gap in service because there was no mental health support. There was no like language to kind of support me through. I had well-intended people, friends and family and loved ones who just kept saying, leave the online space, don't post, delete it, like get them to take it down. And they meant well, but I was like, you're victim blaming me. People say, so what did you do to attract the abuse? What the hell do you mean I did I did nothing. It felt like, Fee, the same narrative around women wearing short skirts, women drinking in the clubs were being used in our online spaces. And it irked me. It irritated me so much. So it wasn't necessarily the abuse. The abuse was a spotlight to how the system allowed the abuse to continue and allowed women to be censored. And so Glitch became... Not just a campaign to raise awareness of this, but became the solution to women like me who were online facing abuse and didn't know what to do. Learning from my lived experience around digital self-care and self-defense and then commissioning in consultants and experts to kind of improve our workshops. And slowly and surely it became this non-profit organization where people wanted to donate money. And I was like, ah, crap, okay, I need to think about this legal structure and do this properly because I don't want to go to jail. (laughs) And then in February this year, we became a charity with a clear mission and purpose, with an amazing team. And doing our bit to try and make the online space. And this year alone has meant our work has been so needed and in high demand. And there is still so much work to
0: do. I mean, honestly, there's a lot that I want to unpick there today. I want to go back to the minute you decided I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm going to launch this campaign. How did you go about galvanizing that support? Because, you know, these are all the bits where, you know, you just said you got the experts on board. The workshop started. You registered for a charity. All of those baby steps add up, right? But even like registering for a charity, how did you know where to start? What did you prioritise getting off the ground? And what's your advice for other women, you know, who are listening to this? If there is a problem, what would your advice be? And, and how much do you think, I suppose, there's quite a lot coming in this question. <laughs> you had been sort of thrust into the spotlight there. If you don't have that kind of, I don't know, as an MP, I suppose there's already a bit of... As in, like, if you don't have the contacts, I suppose, how would you advise going about getting charities off the ground as well? So there's your experience and your advice in there all in one.
1: (laughs) Well, I had an amazing MP, Lynn Brown, who saw what was happening. And obviously I'm a counsellor in her constituency and she's a friend and she was a mentor of mine at the time as well. Well, before that time, but she saw it and she contacted Google. She just called Google and I think from a previous case or something, And was like, you need to take this down. You need to act. And so I had YouTube basically call me, but their policy team, not anyone who could actually moderate the platform, but their policy kind of PR team called me the next day. I think I was in like, I can't remember where I, I think I was at work. It was crazy. And I was like, I can't be on the phone to YouTube. So at the time of me being angry about what was happening, I was a little bit like, I'm on the phone to YouTube. (laughs) And it made me think if my contacts can help me with my case, actually, there's a need to create a platform to make this a systematic change. Like, it can't just be about me because that's what they want. They want this high-profile, annoying person who's gone on ITV London, BBC, Sky News, Channel 4. I did it all. I did it all. When it went viral, I did every single bit of media to get attention. And for the journalists who are reporting on the story... They have to contact the social media companies and give them the right to reply, right? So I wanted all the platforms to know who, who I was and about this case. And what they want is for me to go away. They want my case to be dealt with, resolved, and then I shut up. And I was like, no, it's not just about me. I'm bringing along all the other minoritized women that you have silenced and ignored. And I think that was the turning point, saying... Thanks for taking this down, but here's also my recommendations for the future. And they gave me beta testing versions of YouTube to see if it was going to help the issue. There was also some victim blaming as well. Don't get me wrong. They're like, oh, maybe you want to like make your account private. Why should my account go private? Why is that? Like you wouldn't say this is okay offline. You wouldn't say a woman walking down Oxford Circus who was being street harassed by, I don't know, builders or whatever. You wouldn't say she should walk a different way to work. You would say she should work a different way to selfages, would you? So why are you telling me I should make my account private as if I'm the one that caused the problem? So that irked me as well, like how they were responding to me. So I, like I with a couple of friends to check it, pulled like a recommendations report. I guess, like being um, a recent graduate from LSE, I was still kind of in that essay mode. And that was the kind of way for me to kind of get my vision out there, like my manifesto. And it had clear recommendations around like deterrence, education, transparency, et cetera, et cetera. And that became the kind of framework of Glitch about what we were calling for and the campaign was calling for. And then I had lots of people wanting to know how they could help. And I was like, well, I think I need to make this more legitimate than just like an online campaign i'm being asked to speak i don't want the title of victim what they used to call me and i've shouted at them about it they call me like victim of online abuse and i was like first of all, i'm not a victim i'm a bloody survivor mm. and i said actually i don't want this to be about me the individual i want it to be about the campaign and an organization so In order to have that, I needed to have the legal structure. So we quickly became a non-for-profit, got an interim board of like trustees who could help me work out what the best legal structure and sustainability plan was for this campaign charity. And for a while, Fee, I thought we were going to be a social enterprise because I wanted to make money from paid workshops for corporates around digital self-care and safety for their employers and well-being to help sustain the organisation. Because charity grant money is just not always sustainable. And so I thought for ages it was going to be a social enterprise, but because of our political advocacy work, we couldn't. And so it was charity that was left and it took a long time, a very long time. And then got a new board of trustees for this charity application we wanted to put forward and got a legal trustee who is amazing. Her name is Carly Kind and she's the director of Ada Lovelace Institute. And she was just able to use her expertise of certain charities before and with the legal framework not intimidating her the way it intimidates me and was able to put an application in within like three to four weeks and we waited three months, heard back, had to make some changes and then February the 5th, we became a charity, which free is the same week that I got the abuse three years ago. Oh my gosh. I was like, these racists, they don't know what they have caused now. I love
0: that so much. I mean, Shay, when there's things like, I mean, even just setting up a business, you know, like if you create a website, you register on company's House, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't have to be expensive, but there's still costs there. So things like, I haven't actually interviewed someone from a charity yet, but are there costs involved with sending off an application and stuff? And how did you fund all of this, keeping you going until the charity was up and running?
1: Debt fee. Debt. I've still got about two and a half grand to pay off in debt.
0: Yeah. Reality, right?
1: Yeah. So my background is in facilitation. I have a degree from LSE and I was a politician. So all of those three things meant that advocacy work was a lot easier. Like I I wasn't intimidated by the process around asking questions, getting MPs to ask questions in Parliament and stuff like that. As much as I disliked uni itself, the degree helped me be able to know how to write a report and write letters and like lobby and stuff. And then facilitation meant that I knew how to design workshops and training based on my lived experience so that no other woman had to go through that experience. So those three things were at my disposal and that was it. I didn't know about forecast projections, business planning. I just was constantly reading Mm. and the more I was trying to like read the less I could work right because work is exhausting and I was freelancing and more and more freelancing and things that I loved but wasn't what I knew I was being called to do Mm. and I remember working in the Middle East and North Africa and did a workshop for British Council for a few months and like on the long plane journeys was like trying to do glitches like mission and objectives and like theory of change and trying to follow these templates and basically i was freelancing to kind of pay off some of my credit card but i was on credit cards and then i would get like a zero balance transfer credit card move the debt over to there and that would buy me some more time before i had to kind of like pay off yeah it was until we got this new interim board that was like you need to think about how you're being paid and like increasing my salary and increasing my day rate and that's why in addition to glitch i have a community that i run with my work wife gabby edlin who's the ceo of bloody good period which is all about period equity for all women but particularly refugees and asylum seekers and we founded a community called f you pay me which is basically fuck you pay me and it was all about increasing our day rate and i think there's a point right, just pause here before people think it's all about money I think you do need to pay your dues. You sit with comedians, right? Like they'll do the comedy circuit in like the most dingiest of bars to kind of practice their material and stuff like that. I think that's the same when you're doing like public speaking and campaigning consultancy. Yeah. But you need to like build up your CV. But like I was massively undercharging myself. Like a day rate was like 175. I thought I was good to do it on kind like of London living wage and not take into account tax, paying to my pension and then all sorts of stuff. And it was talking about increasing my day rates, but I was stopped living off my credit card. And it made me want to just pass that information and that learning on that me and Gabby was like, okay, we know that International Women's Day is coming. How do we make sure that women are being paid to speak? How do we make sure that we are professionalizing activism, but we're not making it capitalist? We're not saying that, you know, you go into activism for a job, but we also must Better respect and remuneration for activism and campaigning because we are the ones that are making this world better. We are the ones that are going onto the front line and calling for change, whether it's Gina Martin on the upskirting bill or it's Nimco Ali on anti-FGM laws, campaigners and activism is what has brought civil like liberties to this world and it's not being properly treated. They've been asked to work for free, particularly by corporates who can pay and will get sponsorships to pay and they're asking people to spend their evenings on a panel and give their expertise for free we're like no so a combination of that made me realize i need to be charging more for our workshops and therefore paying facilitators better and really using my experience of like low wage in kind of the third sector to change the way we work and pay our people well and try to kind of address this disparity between like program managers and our admin support like we can't work without our admin support and so why should they be paid any less or so much less than our program delivery work partners and so that painful, financially expensive experience helps me think about budgeting and paying and remunerating people a lot better. But I'm still paying off my debt. And I'm only now able to pay off my debt because I am charging a lot more for what I do and our workshops and our public speaking.
0: But I think it's so interesting, though, and I think it's always worth speaking about is that that has been a journey because I think, like you say, you kind of work the circuit of it and then you sort of It's a learning curve, right? I don't know anyone that's launched a business and known their worth from day one or if they had known their worth, I still think the bit that's really important for me is that you need to almost prove yourself, like you said, corporations when there's big budgets to play with, absolutely. But I've always been really honest with the fact that the first three Mingles that I did, Midweek Mingles, that was pure value exchanges. And when I'm asked to speak at events, I don't charge. There's one event that I did charge, and that was a big corporation that asked me to host an event. But I do think it's, how do I word it? There's a fine balance, in my opinion, in terms of an 18-year-old charging a day rate of two grand from day one. Yeah. I don't agree with at all. No. When you've worked your way up, and do you know what I mean? And you've got the experience.
1: Absolutely. And if an 18-year-old had been campaigning on youth issues for a very long time, for sure, if you're straight out of university... And wanting, you know, a massive day rate in line with people who've been campaigning for a long time. Yeah. I would really go and ask that person to do some reflection. And I think also it's about charging more for corporate so that they put it in their budget lines that they don't think about paying campaigners and activists and speakers. They just assume they're going to do it for free. And it's mm-hmm. so... It's actually discrimination because it's more taxing on women who've got care responsibilities. It's more taxing on people of color. And it's just not fair. We also don't need to kind of quantify, like pay people for their time and what they're contributing. Mm. And then it allows us to have more freedom and ability to do more pro bono work and to speak for free. And as you said, a value exchange, like a barter system, right? Like, for example, my work wife. We Our small charities can't always afford to pay each other for our expertise and time for stuff. But um, what we do is a value exchange. We have work-wife time, which is two hours every six weeks. She's helping me with my team configuration and ye and all of that stuff because we need to move on to ye and that is daunting. And I'm helping her with all her advocacy campaigning work. That feels like a really equal exchange. Yes. It doesn't feel like an extraction. It's a fair, fair balance. But now being asked to speak about diversity, inclusion, racism, et cetera, to this very white audience for free, for me, is just an evolution of slavery. It's just an evolution of colonialism and trying to get away with free emotional labor. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the balance. Yeah. And the more corporates don't pay, the more I think actually small startups and organizations and value-led organizations are losing out because then... Individuals, are like, I'm not going to speak for free at all. I'm not doing this at all. Actually, corporates paying more helps there to be more free time to give back, basically.
0: Yeah, no, you're so much more eloquent. Like, that's basically, I agree. I've got to just say, I agree, Shay. But no, I'm glad that you said that because I think everyone kind of needs to hear it. You mentioned team there and pay and all the kind of admin logistical stuff that comes with organizations as they grow. How did you go about managing your team? You know, like I've obviously met Lauren and she's amazing and you seem to have such a great team around you. So where did they join you along the line? And what's your experience been like as a kind of leader and the whole, I guess, the management side of things, et cetera, et cetera? How have you found that?
1: So no one in the team has been with us longer than a year. It will be a year next month, which is insane. But I managed to get this national lottery grant last October, and it meant that I could hire a program manager, and basically they'd be like my number two. And then we got a grant. It takes one grant, and then the others start trickling in because you can use it as a way to say, I'm good with my money. And I got another grant, and it allowed me to get a communications person. And then I decided as I was increasing my pay that I could pay for a PA and that was Laura. So I had Laura, Hales and Lauren basically form my core team end of December, early January and basically take off some of the stuff that I was doing. I was running three pillars of our organization on my own. It wasn't sustainable and it was in massive conflict with all the things that I care about when it comes to self-care. So I basically did handovers with them for them to kind of run with those three pillars of work and it allowed us to then give me more time to put in funding applications to get consultants in and and experts in and cultivate our governance board and all of that. The thing that drove me at the very beginning, if I can be really honest, was fear. I know that line managers and bosses can make or break someone's career. I've had the experience of a really great line manager and then the rest have been really shit. I mean, my last line manager at a charity was awful, like awful, awful, awful. And that was also part of the reasons why there was such a delay in hiring. Mm -hmm. So the first kind of three to six months, I think I was line managing out of fear. And I don't think fear is sustainable, a way of living. And so it took me a while to kind of pivot and line manage and lead from a place of love and be more confident and creative and call for things like rest and team time and really see the team as like a new project to apply my values and life experience in cultivating a different way of working. So like working four days a week, literally tomorrow we're going on a autumn shutdown. We planned this before lockdown. But we had seen, like, we did a team well-being survey, and like, I was feeling as well. Like, we're all knackered. We've been working flat out all year, where we normally have pockets of breaks because of the summer period. But COVID, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. everything we'd been responding to, and we just said, like, we don't want to end the year burnt out, resenting the organisation, our work, and not giving our best to like our community. So we're going on a two-week break where the first week is doing absolutely nothing. Like I'm even thinking about temporarily suspending people's email addresses. Like nobody is allowed to email or talk about work or anything. And the second week is strategy processes getting our inbox down like admin that will just help us smash the next four weeks so the 23rd of November to 23rd of December and really leave on 23rd of December knowing that we have given this year our all despite how hard and exhausting it's been Mm. and that way that when we have our rest at Christmas it actually is rest it's not recovery from how exhausted we
0: are so true honestly I think like that's it for so many people you get to Christmas and you just hold out and then you just burn aren't you I've never heard of anyone do it like this. And I think that's such an amazing thing for all of you and the teams to do. I think that will only be beneficial. It's amazing.
1: And I think it's proven to work. Like it's proven to work that we've kind of modelled a half term summer break period. Because we also saw that students (laughs) needed breaks and rest. Why don't we?
0: Yeah,
2: definitely. A huge thank you to PLEO for handing over your ad space to us. My name is Lauren and I'm the owner of Pilates East, the home of Pilates in Norwich, Norfolk and beyond. Our aim is to make high quality, authentic Pilates accessible to everyone. Pilates is a full body workout that will strengthen and stretch your body, teach you to move with intention and control and leave you with an improved sense of physical and mental well-being. It will challenge, inspire, educate and support you to reach your goals in the studio and beyond. If you're local or ever visiting Norwich, then we would love to welcome you to our city centre studio. We also run a timetable of online classes and have recently launched Pilates East On Demand a video library full of in-depth tutorials and longer full body workouts designed to bring Pilates East to you at home. Head to our website, pilateseast.uk, to start your free seven-day trial and begin your Pilates journey.
0: How have you found the balance in general of the fact that on a day-to-day basis, the work that you're doing, it's heavy? And how are you looking after yourself? Because I think running a business, no matter what business you do, you know, you could be making candles and beautiful, like, I don't know, essential oils. But running a business is stressful no matter what it looks like, but let alone the nature of the work you're doing. So what does self-care look like on a day-to-day basis?
1: Really good question. So I had to go on a real self-care journey and to do that was like a self-love journey, actually to learn to love myself, to know who I am, what is it that I need and what is it that makes me flourish and be my best and really try and insert that into my week.
0: And what is that?
1: They're pink in my diary and it's things like yoga, it's things like watching Neighbours while I'm eating at one forty-five. So I try and have my lunch break at like one thirty quickly prepare the meal and then one forty-five to 2.15 I'm watching Toadie on TV because it's just like a nice escapism Um, it's dance classes obviously when there isn't lockdown it is just not being on my screen as well like just knowing I have breaks actually a a pop-up has just come up saying break in 15 minutes time it's not talking I use my voice a lot I know my voice is very powerful I know that I'm a good public speaker without obviously coming across bragging but that's also where my energy can go so it's not
0: come across as ragging at all, it's you are. like,
1: <laughs> But it means it's my weakness because it's my super, super strength. It means I want to do it more because I get the buzz from like helping people and like that light bulb moment in workshops. But it means at seven o'clock when I've done three lots of trainings, I'm absolutely knackered. So it's like a vocal rest having a boyfriend definitely does help with like work-life balance because he's like really good at saying like okay we can work late sometimes but seven o'clock is like a really really hard stop and we just binge watch the series or go for walks that we've really good at like going for walks Mm. we moved actually intentionally to a place that has a really good gym and a pool and we're paying a little bit more for those things because it just really allows us to have that, that separation from work and like just life and well-being I'm really good at saying no, Fee. I mean, I'm better at saying no. I'm good now, but before I wasn't. I'm really good at saying no to packing my diary, FOMO as well. Like, oh my gosh, I need to be at this event and be everywhere. No, I don't. No,
0: I don't. I literally, like, I just don't care. I'm just like, nah, nah, I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's it's really checking my ego about, like, why do I want to be there? I say no, or I pass opportunities to the team, or I get the team involved. Like, I'm struggling to, like, get to do yoga. Anyone want to do yoga with me? Like, talking to the team, rather than there is a little bit of a hierarchy because there needs to be in terms of delegating and responsibility of power and budget and money and stuff and accountability. But in terms of how we talk, I hope the team would agree there is no hierarchy and I talk to them and I ask them for their advice. I also know though for self care, some things that I don't want to do that I need to do like the gym, like eating well, and I spot my burnout habits, my uh, symptoms, and I communicate that with my friends and my family and also my work colleagues. So, William is really good. My boyfriend's really good at noticing if I've ordered too many takeaways because that's a sign of burnout. And he's really good at noticing if I haven't, like, gotten ready in the morning, like, brushed my teeth, washed my face, and stuff like that. If I've just got up straight away and, like, gone to my laptop, think something's not right. And if I've not used my shady time. So, I wake up at seven, usually, and seven to eight is shady time. And it's like, having a tea, it's yoga, it's the Calm app, meditating, and then 8 to 8.30 is like tidying and getting ready and getting my desk and my environment ready. And then 8.30, I'm usually good to go.
0: Really I- really quickly, I'm just jumping in. This lockdown this year, it's like forced me to, it sounds so silly, but just make a cup of tea and sit on the sofa with nothing else but your cup of tea. And just sit there. (laughs) And that genuinely has been like eye opening for me. And it sounds so, so daft, but like Mm -hmm. silly things like that, they are just generally little snippets in the day that are like, relax, breathe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny you talked about that because I remember tweeting saying, guys, you only make a cup of tea. Like, who actually finishes it? Because by the time I realized I've made a tea, it's gone cold. And somebody said to me, you just need to go and have your cup of tea. I was trying to multitask my tea, like a green tea with writing emails and then I'd be so focused on the emails and I forgot about my tea. Actually just step away from the screen for 10 minutes and have a tea and I have those in my diaries and even if I sometimes can't take them it's just good breathing space. I'm not having back-to-back meetings. It is hard though. My self-care definitely was like under attack if you like when it came to like George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, COVID and like before we moved William and I, you know, how do we see each other when it's locked down and that was really hard. My desk at the time as well, my mum's house was in my room. So literally everything was in one space. And so it was tested at some times, but then it really made me realise I'm in a new season of life. Like I've become a CEO, therefore, what I need is going to change. And I know we don't have much more time, but it was having a better relationship with money fee. Having a better relationship with with money really helped my self care. Like Because of my debts, I like would avoid opening letters from banks because I just don't want to see it. And I had to change my perspective of that, saying like this debt wasn't because I was like going on a holiday. This debt was because I was birthing an organization that is making an impact on the world. Actually see it as like a battle scar. That helped me have a better relationship with the bills and like increase repayments and Actually, see that I'm actually coming away with a different amount of money than I was last year and actually putting that into things that are going to help with my sanity, like ordering a HelloFresh subscription so that I'm eating proper food and not getting into that spiral of ordering food and then feeling bad about myself and then not going to the gym and blah, 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 blah.
0: Oh, see, you need, um, I can't believe I haven't offered you it yet. Well, I'm so horrendous. I'll give you a subscription to the benefits program because you'll get 50% off at Hello HelloFresh. Oh!
2: Thank you. I
0: don't know how I haven't done that. You and the girls can all have that. Rounding up, because I am conscious of time, and I think just to pick up on what you just said about money, I think it's such an important topic, and my partner's actually been really good at helping me with addressing all of that kind of stuff, and I just literally am so grateful for how you have just described it as the battle scars of building something you believe in sometimes. Like if you don't have a trust fund or yes. there's not money piling in, it's, it's so true. So thank you for that. Not
1: all debt is bad debt.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. But you do have to kind of face it head on, don't you? Yeah. What has this whole experience taught you about yourself? You know, you mentioned the heaviness of Black Lives Matter and people looking to glitch, especially in this time, 2020 has been so heavy, but people are looking to you because your work matters. Mm. What has it taught you about yourself and your abilities in general, not just as a CEO, as you said, but just as a woman as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's taught me that I do better from doing things from a place of rest. Like I'm at my best and I'm giving my best and I'm serving my best from a place of rest. And there will always be need. And sometimes you do need to make sacrifices, but that shouldn't be the default. And I think that's been the balance, right? Like I want to, and will continue to, fight against racial injustice, but not at the expense of my mental health and having to constantly see graphic content on the timeline. And that's about finding new balance and rest and learning as well about how I make sure that Glitch is trauma-informed, but not trauma-led, and how I've seen that trauma-led organisations and campaigners get into a lot of disagreements, call-out culture, you know, this frazzled, like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, so I learned about being trauma-informed and championing lived experience, but not being led by my trauma. And I've learned about really doing things from a place of rest and listening to my body. My instincts and my body have served me so well right now, like where I am right now. And I need to trust that and I need to, like, listen to that more. But if I don't listen to my body, it's going to stop telling me messages and I am going to definitely be lost, right? I think those are the key things and as you mentioned before about like glitch being such a heavy topic and again listening to my body is like okay the next thing I want to do is get some like benefit scheme so that we get access to like mental health officers who can provide bespoke one-off kind of training or support or dumping for the team when we're at the height of stuff like that's made me think that's the next thing and then therefore I'm going to apply my same strategic shade to this need which is in funding, seeking partnerships that will help pay for this support. And it's going to therefore mean that myself and the Glitch team and Glitch is going to be even better because we're addressing our community from a place of rest, not from a place of exhaustion and burnout.
0: Yeah, love that so much. I always end on some statements. So you've kind of said it there anyway, but I'm going to just ask, I'll start and I'd like you to finish, please. Being my own boss means, or I suppose being CEO of a charity means.
1: Being a CEO of a charity means the freedom and the responsibility to do things differently and more inclusive.
0: Absolutely. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to rest. Yeah.
1: And ask for help. I'm so bad at that last bit. I suffer in silence.
0: <laughs> Who would you turn to for help? Like, would you turn to the team or do you go to mentors or?
1: Both. Team, the board, William. Yeah. I. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. Or charity, or I don't know. Can we say businesswoman?
1: You know, the best advice that I got was that a charity is a business, is that you just don't reap your
0: profits. Got it, yeah. Because the principles are still the same. You're still forecasting, you've still got exactly.
1: the... Oh my gosh, if I didn't, I'd would be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so, ask me the statement again.
0: If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am.
1: Funny insightful, great instincts and innovative.
0: Love that. If I could go back to day one of glitch, I'd tell myself.
1: Processes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would just, I would literally say the same thing to me. And very lastly, Shay, I want my legacy to be that.
1: I want my legacy to be that we can shape and change our world for the better. Yeah,
0: love that. I think I genuinely speak on behalf of everyone that's kind of come into contact with Glitch when I say that you're definitely doing that. So thank you. And thank you so much for that in general. Like, I know how busy you are, but I absolutely love that chat. So thank you.
1: I can't wait to hear it back. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed talking about, like, the inside to Glitch, like, behind the Glitch, Mm. rather than just talking about our work, which is important. But I think people need to know how we got here.
0: Thank you so much to Cleo once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses so I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to pleo.io now and make sure to mention the She Can She Did podcast on your demo. The link's in the show notes now. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you happen to enjoy it, please do feel free to subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, etc. etc. I'm sure you know how it works by now, but it really does help to give the series a little boost, and I for one would be so unbelievably grateful. For now, though, have a lovely day, and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode.